passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live. It is John Pollock. Joined, as always, by Brandon Thurston of Russellnomics. It is another edition of Pollock and Thurston Interview. Joining us today in the hot seat, uh, a man that I'm sure many people that are interested in this subject matter uh, very familiar with. A familiar voice on WWE earnings calls, a analyst at Lightshed. It's a pleasure to welcome Brandon Ross to the program. Brandon, how are you doing today? Thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, taking some time to chat, chat with us. I'm good. It's great to be here, guys. TKO earnings calls now, right? That, that is uh, right. It'll, it'll it'll take about nine months or so before that deal's closed, but it'll be a lot of fun to have these two companies together and uh, get to look at these two businesses, the UFC business and the WWE business, under the same umbrella, at least for the analysts. I don't know about exactly what's going to happen <laughs> In terms of the dynamics internally, we'll see as that unfolds. Well, as you've had some time to digest this, Brandon, I mean, you had been one of the people at the forefront looking at this as Endeavor being a, a very you know, logical option for a landing spot. But this is a lot of interesting personalities all under uh, one roof. And, you know, from a uh, commercial standpoint, uh, Vince McMahon, a Dana White, how have you sort of assessed just some of the dynamics that come with a merger like this and a lot of powerful figures that have typically run their companies and now you are working in concert with one another great opportunity for shoulder content that that's what i know um i think honestly these these two businesses will probably while they're under the same umbrella and they'll have the ability to share some costs and you know do some cross promotion and kind of take the expertise out of each other's businesses, they'll probably be run pretty separately. I mean, you already see the management structure where Nick is going to run WWE, Dana is going to run UFC. I expect those to be pretty siloed fiefdoms where most of the crossover it, it happens um, through strategic meetings. Yeah, and, and this transaction, which you correctly predicted, by the way, uh, we, we, we talked to you several months ago, uh, and, and you were talking, basically the only one talking at that point about the notion that Endeavor could acquire or merge with WWE. Um, yeah. and you had, you had talked about a reverse Morris trust. Yeah. And I was listening to your, to your latest podcast last Friday. And this is actually not a reverse Morris trust. No, this isn't. So the way a reverse Morris trust would have worked would have been that the shareholders of, um, Endeavor would have gotten ownership in the new entity. And it would have been a completely separate company with no Endeavor ownership. What I missed about the possibility for that transaction was Endeavor would have had to own 80% of 
UFC for at least six years, I think, and they didn't. So they couldn't do it under that structure. So under the current structure of the deal, Endeavor owns 51% of TKO. And that's Endeavor, the company, not the shareholders of Endeavor. And so it's so, different. And, and one thing I'm trying to figure out lately is that I, I take it that all W shares, when this is complete, all W shares are going to become TKO shares. That's correct. Yep. That, that'll be 49% of the stock. 51% is going to be owned by EDR. But like, does, does Endeavor, do Endeavor shareholders get TKO shares or is it just Endeavor is going to be no. owning no, 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 equity? No. That's right. It's that's under a reverse Morris trust. What you said previously, Endeavor shareholders owning it um, would have been the case, but it's actually Endeavor, the corporate entity. Yeah. And, and like, how does that work for control? I guess like who controls that 51% equity that Endeavor owns? Is it just Ari or whoever the CEO is? I guess like, yeah, like well, a board ultimately vote. the shareholders of the board of, you know, <laughs> like in air quotes. Um, but ultimately it's, it's, it's Ari's game. I mean, he's the leader of that organization. How pivotal was Vince McMahon in, in all of these talks from your understanding, uh, Brandon, and sort of the, the, the appetite that was out there of not just uh, getting into business with WWE, but primarily having Vince McMahon as a focal point in the next iteration of this company. Sure. Um, I saw what you guys saw, right? Which was Ari, who definitely has a very longstanding relationship with Vince McMahon. Want, he said that he wanted um, Vince involved and asked specifically for him to be involved. The, you know, the party line is that this wasn't a requirement from Vince. Whether or not we should believe that or not, I honestly don't know. I don't want to make a judgment call either way, but kind of you know, entering the mind of somebody, um, any business owner, especially one with a very type A personality whose entire identity and life has been wrapped around one single company or product is probably going to want to force his way into continuing that involvement. And Mm -hmm. as chairman of TKO, he actually, you know, is in a position in a power position in a bigger organization than he was before. And he won't have special voting rights. in in this case, if, but reading the, the filings that came out last week, Monday, it, it sounds like this is going to be a one class, that's shareholder correct. system. Yeah, that's how I read it as well, Brandon. Yeah. So it's not going to be the case now where he has about a, thir- a little over a third of the stock, but 81% of the votes. He's going to have, by my math, about 18% of the control. And that's the correct. Um, it's, so it remains to be seen, obviously, um, how much ultimate control he's able to wrestle, whether it's from a creative standpoint or a business standpoint. And that remains to be seen. It seems like Ari will likely give him as much leeway um, as he wants. And I don't know, you guys are more equipped to tell me how, how do you, do you think that Vince's imprint has been on maybe the end of WrestleMania or the, um, the subsequent uh, shows or do you think he was definitely uh, there the Monday after? No, uh, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know he was there, but was his imprint on the creative is what I'm asking you guys. 
Oh, on that that Monday show after WrestleMania, like that was that was a Vince McMahon show, and, <laughs> and you know, and subsequent shows. I mean, last Friday's show, this past Monday, Vince McMahon was not there presently, but it's it's ultimately it's it's no longer this idea that it is church and state where Vince is working on a sale and has nothing to do with creative. Oh. It is it is public. It's like the public line is that yes, I am involved, but I'm not in the weeds. So I mean, that is you know, working with Paul Levesque at the very least. And there's going to be that, that influence. And I think the, that's the big picture influence, the big picture storylines. And, and that will permeate, I think, into like certainly having more of a, of a hands-on approach than the last couple of months. But I, I certainly feel like there's going to be that specter of Vince with the creative direction of this. Yeah. And to be clear in like what's been reported, he, well, right after he retired or resigned, he was, Apparently not involved. I mean, Paul Levesque and Vince are probably having conversations and who knows what kind of influence he's exerting through, through that. But when he came back to the company in January, I mean, we had Paul Levesque make comments on, on the earnings call about, you know, how, how beneficial it is to have him back as executive chairman. Um, and obviously he was there in LA during WrestleMania week and he was there. At, at the arena the following he was in gorilla he was in the back no i know i i know he, i know he was in gorilla um and no one could miss him yes no no he's uh <laughs> he's put a, a giant bullseye on his face uh <laughs> for everybody to see <laughs> you know and and it does become very interesting brandon because i mean j- just listening to the, like the earnings calls and this is the first time i've had a chance to speak with you like you certainly seem to be very engaged with sort of like the news cycle of professional wrestling and that seems to be something brandon and i have noticed is that uh, a lot of analysts like they they might not be watching the weekly programming but they certainly seem to have a better read of the the fans perception of the on-screen product and if you're Paul Levesque, you can certainly lean back on metrics that have improved under this nine, 10 month run where he has you know, been leading the creative direction. This is not just you know, totally. fan sentiment. The, the, but- the, first of all, the numbers speak for themselves. That's it. Second of all, I think any analyst who's doing their job um, speaks to the customers of, of the product that they're analyzing. And in you know, customer conversations, Mark on our team is a huge wrestling fan i actually thought about bringing him on this podcast with me and i think both of you should meet him so he is um he's really on on the beat of what's happening creatively obviously i watch here and there not not to the same obsessive um you were at wrestlemania right yeah i was i was only there the first night but i did watch the second night on peacock and i'll tell you why i thought the content was awesome um, especially was very good uh, yeah, I I was more into it, and obviously I'm much more casually involved with the content than you guys are. But I was more into that that um, night one of WrestleMania than any of the previous um, shows that I've attended live. I think that's, I that's it a pretty great. universal opinion, especially of the okay. first night yeah. show. Like this was a pretty well received um, WrestleMania by you know. Uh, anyone's standards. I think it was a very, very well-received show. And it was also, I mean, their most financially rewarding uh, WrestleMania as well. You had the opportunity to speak with uh, Nick Khan last week uh, following the announcement of the merger. And I kind of want to go back and just some of your uh, impressions when Nick Khan made this giant pivot in his career going to WWE in 2020. And how much uh, did that catch the industry off guard? That and what kind of a 
uh, of a hiring this is for WWE in terms of just the importance that Nick has brought to this company in terms of uh, not just business dealings, but I think perception wise as well. It certainly has been a very important three year period and he's been at the forefront of it. Sure. Um, I think, first of all, I think George and Michelle actually did a great job in evolving WWE. It's, it's brand, not only it's, it, I don't mean it's brand with, um, wrestling fans, but it's in the industry perception of WWE. I think the move into streaming, um, at the time looked like it was some really forward thinking stuff. And there was a lot of respect that others in the media industry, other companies gave to WWE for that move. I I had not started covering WWE before before the, the network launch. Like, how much were, were were TMT analysts like really covering WWE before the network? Was the, the network launch a big change? For it, that? It, yeah, that was. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the network itself, but it was the their ability to get to a million over the top subscribers at the, at the real beginning of, uh, of OTT. I mean, that was, there were very few companies at that time who could boast that it was who Netflix, it was Amazon prime. I mean, which both have broad content. I, I don't even think Crunchyroll had gotten to um, a million yet. If you want to go back to like sort of single product OTTs, um, and I think MLB did MLB.tv is UFC fight pass around that time too. Right. Yeah. Was- but I, it was later, I think. And I don't, it never got to, you know, it, it was a pretty revolutionary idea to cut the middleman out at that time. And obviously George and Michelle had a huge hand in that evolution and taking that risk. You have to give Vince credit. I mean, ultimately Vince controls everything and he was, you know, willing to, um, or not just willing to, he really embraced that step. And I think that that was an important shift in perception around WWE as a business. Um, obviously, others caught up in the OTT world. And then in that next iteration, it made sense to, and I was unsure about this at the time, but um, it's worked out. It made sense to license that content out to a third party and focus solely on creative. Um, and when you, when you moved back into that and George and Michelle left for whatever reasons they left, we don't need to get into that. I think Nick Khan was, was a pretty good choice to continue to elevate that B2B perception because as a Hollywood agent who had dealt with a ton of brands and a ton of, you know, mainstream Hollywood folk, um, it, it was, a chance to continue to um, uh, evolve WWE in a positive direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I'm kind of curious because you must be on so many of these earnings calls every quarter. <laughs> yeah. Like, is, is there something I tried to estimate how many I've been on in my life once? Well, I can't um, imagine, but it's, I'm sure it's you... in the thousands, multi thousands. It's crazy. Like what? What are certain um, skill sets that Nick Khan possesses in that role as a front-facing executive that is communicating what can be some very dry information in a way that's uh, digestible? And d- does he have a unique skill set when you are looking at other 
kind of executives that are in this role to this is what i this is what i like about nick on the earnings call first of all he has um broad perspective um because he's still in the conversation on everything going on in media and that's very clear number one and number two he's willing to communicate what he's hearing in a public forum which is something yeah break story which is something you never see from um a C-level executive on an earnings call. So I've, I've definitely appreciated and enjoyed that. And I think it's made WWE's earnings call, even beyond people who are invested in WWE, a little bit of a must listen. And so if you're getting a broader audience, that also helps you to rope in a broader investor base, um, because inevitably they're also going to be paying attention to the rest of the call. So I think um, Nick's strategy in that regard, I don't know how much his p- partners necessarily love to love it, but um, I think it's work for the investment community. Go ahead. Compared, we brought up Fight Pass, and yep. given how they launched in relatively close proximity to one another, but very yeah. different different views when it comes to pay per view content and the way the network went versus the UFC that has stayed yeah. in that business. Is And that has been, to me, from fans after this merger, the number one concern is WWE going back to a, a pay model for its largest shows. Are we too far removed that you, you can put the toothpaste back in when WWE's streaming rights are up with Peacock? Uh, how do yeah. you see them kind of navigating that that streaming space? My belief is that, yes, we are too far removed at this point, number one. Um, number two... I think, I think you're going, you're going to have now this negotiation around the Raw and SmackDown rights coming up. And as you know, NBCU owns the Raw rights and they own the rights to those pay-per-views, the old WWE network. My guess is that they might want to, I'm not saying they're gonna, but they might want to add an extension to the, um, to the pay-per-views deal as part of this negotiation. And optically, I think it probably makes sense for WWE to do it because my belief is NBCU is happier with the performance of the WWE network content than the actual raw content. And um, probably think they underpaid for, um, uh, for the network content. So maybe you can, you know, show the street a, a little bit more of a step up. And then you could get those deals coterminous so that you have the most optionality in the future when those, when those rights are all up. And, and those deals are about, about, about a year and a half. Yeah. Apart, about two years apart. Two, two yeah. years apart. It'll expire, I think five years after 2021. So I think March, 2026, I think it was when the Peacock. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's closer to, yeah, it's a year and a half. It's it because that's, End of September versus end of March. You're correct. Are you? Uh, it's as as we're looking at the overall landscape of, of major live sports rights. How uh, influential do you feel like the NBA rights are going to play into this when you are here? Oh, the, the idea of you know, and the NBC opening to me, it's like there's such a trickle down to huge. all these other rights. Like that seems to be the the big yeah is the NBA. I, yeah, the NBA is obviously the biggest rights deal that's outstanding. Um, and you've seen all of the potential partners for WWE on this, on this deal, maybe with the exception of Fox has expressed interest in the NBA 
um, whether we've heard it firsthand or secondhand or, you know, it's, it's, it's in the media. Um, it sounds like NBCU wants to get one night, one night or day a week. Maybe it's a Sunday night situation, um, to, to, you know, fill out the year, uh, when football is over. That makes a lot of sense. So <laughs> those are going to be expensive rights, obviously. Um, you know, I know that Turner has the rights to AEW. You got to look at them as still like kind of a dark horse for these rights. Um, and for then, all, yeah, why not? Right. Um, if you watched yesterday, uh, the Max premiere, I don't know if you guys watched that. I'm aware. Uh, yeah. They said that sports and news are going to be a big part of the service. They didn't want to give the details now, but. You know, what if they abandon the NBA and it makes more sense to do WWE rights because they're less expensive? I don't know. In I mean, case, there, there's so many questions open right now is, is what I'm saying. And they all center, as John pointed out, around the NBA rights. Yeah. yeah in, just, in that case, Turner doesn't, I guess, or WBD doesn't own both WWE and AEW. They would probably let AEW go in that case. Maybe so. Maybe not. Right. Maybe they want to be the home of all things wrestling. I have no idea. I'm not saying that there's a great chance of this. I'm saying that it is a possibility and there are a number of potential bidders. And like, I don't know the exact appetite of each of the bidders. And you have to take obviously the digitals seriously. Amazon, Apple, YouTube obviously is doing sports rights now. They started with, uh, with the NFL. And, and so, like, how much do you think? I mean, the, for for wrestling, those deals will probably be done before NBA gets done, right? Because NBA is twenty twenty five. These wrestling deals are both twenty twenty four. So, how much does our our networks like setting aside money be, because they have to? Wow, we we probably really have to spend on on NBA. So maybe we spend less on wrestling, or or is that just n- not that big of a factor when considering the no, for wrestling? There have been ongoing talks in the, for NBA rights already. I mean, we just had NBA All-Star Weekend in February. If you looked around, you saw executives from every media company there. Um, you know, Bob Iger was there. He spoke at the NBA Tech Summit. You have to imagine that these rights negotiations are already really ongoing and that these companies are probably have a decent idea of what it's going to take and the way that the NBA wants to slice and dice these packages. And I don't know if you listen to the, um, uh, the last Fox earnings call, I don't know if you guys, uh, notice this, but Lachlan Murdoch regard when he was asked about WWE content was asked what said, well, it depends on how other sports content goes. Right. Now they're not, and I don't believe they're bidding necessarily for the NBA, as I indicated earlier. But what is that other rights? Is it NASCAR? Is it NBA? So, I, I, th- I think that the N- the NBA, and SEC is the college uh, the college property. That's, that's yeah, ongoing. that's that's correct. Which is you know the biggest. So. Maybe it's uh, also earmarking for uh, any potential fallout from uh, the Dominion voting scandal. They may, maybe that's uh, <laughs> into their uh, 
their ongoing coverage. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> on the side of, you know, whether it's the NBA rights, the, the WWE rights, like what's your kind of guess in terms of like term that these uh, broadcasters are looking for? Are they looking for, you know, 10 year deals? So we're not sitting back in five years to renegotiate or are we would we be looking at sort of keep it to WWE like our yeah. it's like five years, a reasonable term that yeah. we're probably looking at? My guess is that WWE is probably going to want to do another five year deal. Uh NBA is interesting. Obviously, you saw the NFL do a much longer term deal uh, than they had in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA, if given the flexibility with all its partners vis-a-vis digital, did a longer term deal. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you. Well, thank you. And let's just thinking long-term and about the market in general, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, streaming is not pr- producing the profits that linear TV did. And yeah. maybe if, you know, can, can these sports, these live sports rights values grow indefinitely as they have, <laughs> you know, we've heard people predict the, the plateauing and the fall of, uh, of live sports rights fees for years and years. But is, is streaming, the, you know, the problem with streaming not being as profitable, at least at this point, or not profitable at all, unless you're Netflix, as, as traditional TV, is that something that's going to finally plateau these live sports fees? Oh, there's a very good chance of that, right? Because the, the thing, I mean, if you, you have to look back at the history of sports rights um, and media to really understand why sports rights got as expensive as they did, and that had a lot to do with the affiliate fees tied to the bundle, which you could keep jacking because everybody subscribed to the bundle. And you you would lose a lot of subscribers if you didn't have certain content. And so that kind of continued as affiliate fees kept going up. It, it continued the escalation of sports rights values. Then you got to a situation where the audience may not have from a subscriber standpoint have been there, but it was the only thing that was working on linear TV. So um, linear broadcasters networks had, had to have that content. Otherwise they had nothing. Now, as they transitioned to streaming at the beginning of streaming, they were loss leading, but as everything really moves to streaming over time, that loss leading is going to have to go away and you're in a new model fully, which is much less profitable and much harder to keep the, you know, the um, scale of subscribers on at all times. So my guess is that at some point sports rights (laughs) get to the other side of the curve. I don't know when that's going to be though. And none of us do. 
We haven't spoken a whole lot about the, the UFC side of the equation of, sure. of this merger. You know, they were extremely valuable to Endeavor throughout the pandemic. They never shut down. It has yep. been record year after record year. And they, they were most valuable to Endeavor in getting them public, right? They, they wouldn't, that would not have been a public company if they didn't do that UFC deal. They could never have gotten it public. So what is, if you're the UFC side and thinking selfishly, what are they getting out of this merger? And there's inevitably going to be layoffs, I would say, on on both sides that you're always going to see in these kinds of deals. Like, how are you yeah, looking at it from the I UFC mean, side? Yeah, cost rationalization, as you pointed out. And unfortunately, the inevitable <laughs> part of cost rationalization is body rationalization. Then you have to look at and think, what does WWE do better than UFC that UFC can learn from? Um, one thing that Nick has really pointed out to me is, um, is on, um, uh, on CP, on consumer products. Um, there's a much bigger consumer products presence with WWE. And I think that comes naturally with the storylines. Um, attached to it. That's why you have action figures and um, more successful video games, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they're going to try and extract some of that DNA from WWE. I think the cross promotion opportunities are there. Can WWE promote UFC fights to its audience? Can they bring in fighters from UFC um, maybe not necessarily into storylines, but try and elevate them to a wider audience. Possible. Do you think that, that the, I don't the know. Cross, cross promotion of w and UFC, is that a, a risk for UFC's brand? Because UFC has legit interesting. fights. Yeah, WWE's totally. Worked matches. D- does the UFC fan, you know, especially those who aren't as well acquainted, start to think, wait a minute, there's, there's pro wrestlers on this, this UFC show hanging out. Like, does that mean maybe? I don't think, you, I, I don't think it would go that way. I don't think you'd bring pro wrestlers to UFC. I th- I'm more talking about bringing UFC fighters onto WWE. I just mean if there's a presence, even cage side a lot. There yeah. already is, but. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. I mean, look, you have Brock and. <laughs> Uh, Ronda Rousey. There has been some crossover, obviously, in the past. Um, I'm not saying that they become full characters, but, um, you know, they could get worked in a little bit, probably. Yeah. You tell me, you guys are much more attuned to the creative, and I know that you're fans of John, John's the MMA journalist. All right. Let's go, John. Well, I think that I don't, I don't want to make claims when I'm not the expert in the area. I feel there, there's enough of a maturation of the audience that sort of in this day and age understand the, the differences between the two. But I certainly believe like there will be resistance if they feel like they are being force fed WWE content. And uh, to a degree, you might get some of that on the wrestling side. But my, from my sense, Brandon, is that the wrestling audience is, I think, more open to the idea of a Conor McGregor coming on to promote his upcoming fight, do some angle on Raw uh, to promote the event. Whereas I, I do feel like the MMA audience is going to have some more resistance to pro wrestling promotion with the body. I agree. The I, that's, a, I, that's why I think it could, it's a kind of a one way thing. And that's why it's beneficial to UFC 
um, and not necessarily to WWE. Yeah, like I, I think right? promoting UFC on WWE programming is fine. But yeah, what if like every every yeah every UFC show had let's let's say every UFC show has a, a promo for the next PLE with with WWE. I I feel like that's if I'm Dana White, I'm I'm starting to feel like well I don't know if I want yeah I this agree thing that's you. kind of a sport but not really a sport to to be reflecting and questioning maybe the integrity of of how real my sport is especially and John knows about the, the gambling issue that they had there and it, with really as UFC and all that it was a major I, I, issue for for them to to navigate when there were um you know uh, up here in Canada like taking like you could not bet on UFC for for a period and on like several uh, outlets uh for that concern i'm certain that they don't briefly, want to just what what was the story behind that well essentially what you had was there was this extreme line movement going into a fight um that certainly raised eyebrows and you had this fighter James Krause that was making a a killing off of gambling advice but he's also like a very well-renowned uh, trainer that has a lot of information and that was be- being conveyed and suddenly you saw all of these these line movements involving fighters that were attached to him at least this one fight that had the big line movement and that was enough to to spook a lot of of gambling outlets and and pulling UFC gambling from several areas like New Jersey was looking into this Ontario yep. was looking into this and it was something like UFC has a massive deal with DraftKings and they like gambling is a huge part of the presentation on UFC and for their revenue. And they do not want to be getting into any yeah. major and, and they uh, federal investigations. Yeah, to- I, I, I don't think I could agree with you guys more. Um, I, this is a one way promotion opportunity, likely. I mean, you get into the gambling side of it right before this deal was announced and <laughs> You had WWE news broke that they were looking into the possibility of um, betting on um, on WWE matches. And the argument there is, well, people bet on the Oscars and other, you know, thing where I don't know why the Oscars aren't really scripted per se. Um, They're predetermined. like, like pre- But yeah, with predetermined out, um, outcomes before they're aired, yes. An interesting issue on, on the UFC side that, that is not something WWE, um, has to contend with is the fact that coming out of the pandemic, one of the big talking points from Dana White is that we're not interested in politics. You tune in here. It's a break, but UFC became very politicized during this time and Dana White's stance uh, against COVID when he was uh-huh. running, when others weren't. And this past Saturday, if you watch their pay per view, here they are in Florida. You have Donald Trump in the front row. You have Jorge Masvidal shouting out Trump and yep. Ron DeSantis. And it's as we're going into the next election cycle, like UFC, like there is a very significant like right wing leaning that extends into the programming. And that is something WWE is not like it's a very apolitical program that is not going to touch any of those. And MMA, like from the fighters, like there is certainly that element that um you're they pretty much get a live microphone and there are a lot of politics embedded into MMA when you sort of look under the rock of, you know, the, the people that populate the sport. Totally. Um, let's not forget though, that Vince, you know, Vince McMahon's politics, I think are very much aligned with those of Dana White's. Well, that is yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> free from the programming, but yes, it's another, yes, but free from the like, programming. Look, as you guys have pointed out continuously, one is scripted and one isn't. Um, one is trying to have much broader family appeal than the other. It doesn't mean that there aren't some cross promotion opportunities, 
But I think, as I said at the beginning of this, these are going to largely be run as separate entities. And when there are opportunities to cherry pick some things or get help from the other, they will lean into that. But I, you know, that's not going to, there's not going to be a, a serious integration of, of these two businesses. As we wind down here, this has been a fantastic discussion. As we are uh, going into the, uh, the WWE's earnings call, uh, which is announced for May the 3rd. Uh, this is, it, it seems every quarter, it's, it's always great anticipation of these earnings calls, but this one, especially so given the recent news. And would you expect, um, Vince McMahon's involvement on this earnings call, or is this still going to be no. kind of Nick Khan? No, I, I, I think, I think this is going to be the Nick show. I actually didn't see that it's May 3rd. Um, I have a daughter due on May 3rd. So, oh, dear. Um, Congratulations. I, thanks. I hope I can make that earnings call. It's, now, it's, it's in the morning got, for now. It's an, all right. You guys got me a little worried. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, you know, little baby will hold off for a couple of days because I'm really looking forward to that earnings call. Yeah, currently scheduled for 8.30 a.m., which I'm guaranteeing, Brandon, that uh, it will get moved to, to 5 p.m. Oh, of course. No well, it, may, it may get moved to May 10th also. Who knows? That's true. We, we see all moves here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's m- more likely than last time that Vince – because Vince had already come back. It was February. But I but I think still more likely that he does. I, I would be absolutely floored if, if Vince was on this call. I don't he think – He clearly doesn't like if, doing If I was running place. investor relations and – they have a very good investor relations team there. Seth does a great job. I would be, well, I guess not that it matters because Vince is going to do what Vince wants to do, but I'd be shocked if he was on that call. Just just the nostalgia of him coming on and stating, we've merged with the company. Take it away, Nick. <laughs> and that's it. That's all. That, that very good impression, John. <laughs> I, I can't do Brandon Lots Thurston's. Uh, Brandon Thurston really has it, has it down pretty uh, solid. Let's hear it, Brandon. Now you're on the spot. You guys put me on the hot seat for a little while. We've, we've, we've got a treasure trust of, of uh, IP and revenue. And <laughs> Take her away, Nick. You've got to be on that, speakerphone as well. Uh, to, to I, I the, the, the muffled Vince uh, yeah, the mu- <laughs> connection. Um, well, I think you guys were equally as, as good with your, your impressions. Uh, well, Brandon, uh, well, first of all, uh, congratulations on your uh, expected daughter. Yeah, and uh, maybe you. after, uh, w- once you uh, are, are settled in, we would love to have you back on. Uh, would love it. This is going to be a major uh, story for, for months and, and years to come, I am sure. But uh, I do encourage everyone to uh, go check out uh, the, the many podcasts uh, that, that are out there. And Brandon, where could you uh, direct people uh, to hear more of your analysis that goes much beyond just uh, WWE? Yes, www.lightshed.com tmt.com and the light shed podcast and light shed live. Those are kind of uh, our products. All right. Well, we are going to say goodbye to uh, Brandon and uh, we will be taking some of your super chats and uh, Brandon and I will uh, wrap this up, but uh, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. uh, And and, and by the way, for for people watching on video, notice we, we had some video issues with Brandon, so we weren't able to get, get him on the screen, but he was wearing a light shed 316 shirt. We did, we did see it for a moment uh, before we went on. That is that is true. I'm still that waiting was, for that my, my Rustomomics 316 shirt. Yeah. I'm sure it's in the mail. Uh, <laughs> that was a gift, but I um, it's going to be one that I get a lot of wear out of. I'm already planning on wearing it on the Legend Podcast tomorrow. So, yeah, I probably won't wash it tonight, but don't tell anyone. Well, there, All right, there guys. We have it. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the time, Brandon. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right. That was uh, Brandon Ross. Uh, 
dare I say, Brandon, I, I, I think he did, he did come away just loving our impressions. And uh, oh, that was a fun it. chat. Yeah, it was excellent. Great stuff. I, I continually go back to like in, in looking at all of these like media rights and how the, the NBA, like obviously that, that's a major one out there, but the potential effect, um, if you're talking about NBC getting back into the NBA business and the idea that if there are games available, that some of them could seep down onto the USA network. And it goes without saying the, the Warner brothers discovery talks with the NBA and the direct impact that will have on it's AEW negotiations, but they're, it'll be interesting, as you mentioned in the interview, the idea of when they go into these talks of knowing um, in, in the future, they have to have this available uh, money available for their, their NBA rights, which are, they are looking for a massive, massive increase, just mind blowing money that they are expecting here. Yeah. The NBA is already getting 2.6 billion per year uh, per year. Yeah. Am I able to, to share this on the screen? I think I am. If I put the, I don't know, maybe not. But anyway, they're getting 2.6 billion. They they were just under a billion in the, the, um, there it is, in the um, round before that. So I haven't, it's probably out there, but I haven't heard. What are they looking for? A 3X increase? I think maybe I saw one article say they were looking for. I'd have to look it up, but it was like over the term, I want to say like 72 billion over the the life of the deal, like a a gigantic increase over what they're getting now. And I mean, to, 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 Compare AEW, which we have on the screen here, way down at the end, forty-four million. I mean, that, that, that's a drop in the bucket compared to NBA's current deal. Much less when they get an up, upgrade, assuming they will get an upgrade. So I don't know. I, and, I guess- and comes at a time as they are just expanding the hours of AEW programming. Like we've got, right. we're, we're, we just finished week three of All Access. It is, you know, there's the rumored Saturday show. We just saw a two-hour block on Friday that to me, uh, overperformed greatly of what I expected going into uh, last Friday. So it seems like it's it's a key part of their programming. And to this chart, even with a m- multiple increase, it is a very small amount, but it's also Warner Brothers Discovery. Like how much uh, available do, do they have? It would seem to me to like AEW is certainly with, within their means to give not just a, a notable increase, but to to be able to retain unless we get Warner Brothers Discovery aggressively going after WWE rights as was thrown out there, which Brandon is not the first one who has thrown that idea out uh, about the idea of, you know, the 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 multiple benefits of WWE being in talks with Warner Brothers Discovery. We'll we'll see if that ends up on the aggregators later. Uh, Analyst says WBD (laughs) could could buy WWE and and get rid of AEW. Um, I think I'm not as bullish on AEW rights as, as I was the the on the podcast episode where we sort of broke down the math and justified how you can make a three X increase or five X increase. Even um, I don't, the, you know, the atmosphere has cooled off. I mean, since that day that Netflix reported that they didn't grow in subscribers sequentially from the prior quarter, things have really cooled in terms of content spending. And then the, the economy has had issues uh, more broadly too. Um, but I think there's probably an understanding with, among the executives about how much they're going to bid probably more so. I mean, certainly more so that like than, than we do just trying to sit around and predict it. I, I feel like these media executives kind of know what the other media executives are going to bid. They're not completely going in blind and bidding blind. Um, so I think, and I think AEW's there's a good chance that AEW is partly in, in a, in a small stake uh, is owned by WBD. 
So there's that incentive. Why would you sort of ditch your, your current wrestling product if you do own a stake in it? Um, so I think AEW will probably get a, a raise and I do think that W will, will uh, you know, will get a raise assuming their content doesn't fall apart and Vince McMahon takes over. But even if it does, I don't see Raw and SmackDown falling in, in the ranks. And in fact, the last two episodes, they did quite well. Given the the various options that are out there for AEW, do you have any any strong leaning on what you would do with this Wembley Stadium show in terms of uh, broadcast? I think that's going to end up on Max. Yeah, which yeah, it, uh, yeah, which we alluded to, and Brandon alluded to in the interview is the is the combined Discovery Plus and HBO Max. Even though Discovery Plus is still going to be a standalone streaming service that you can buy by itself. Yeah, but, this is very confusing for me as a Canadian without access to Max, right. but um it's yeah, not piecing it together. Service. Yeah, we we have uh we have Crave up here that gets yeah. the HBO programming, so succession, thank God. that that is a succession. Yeah, this was uh No spoilers. Did you watch uh, Sunday night I live? Did. I had to avoid so many spoilers, but I have watched the, the most recent episode the other night. Yeah, um a tremendous episode of television, but if, if we go any further, um <laughs> we'll we, we will get tracks. massacred. <laughs> Let's go to uh, just one question here from uh, Ryan Archer, who asks, do you think that WWE will move PLEs back to Sunday and or have weekends with UFC on Saturday, WWE on Sundays? What do you think about the uh, the pairing of uh, these shows? Uh, the, the move to Saturday seems to have been a very strong move by WWE. Yeah, like, I think we discussed the Saturday. Is Saturday better than Sunday? I don't know, because there's other things involved, with certainly with Peacock, with how they report you know, our, our WrestleMania, our Royal Rumble was so many, you know, double digits of percent more highly viewed. Well, that's, that's gotta be largely due to the fact that Peacock has millions of more subscribers in, in this year versus last year. But I'm sure we, we won't be seeing UFC and WWE on the same night, same no. weekend. Which I mean, is do, an do, example we have do coming up. Do you even up. see that lately? Have, have there been UFCs and PLEs on the same night? It's it's been very rare, but May sixth there is a UFC pay per view the same night as uh, the Puerto Rico show Backlash. Yeah. Um, I could imagine those being pretty rare. Like you're not going to avoid fight nights, but that to me is not a big issue. But a big pay per view on a WWE night, I think those are nights you want to avoid. We are going to get SummerSlam versus Nate Diaz and Jake Paul on DAZN pay per view coming up in August as well. That's the same day as SummerSlam. Correct. Yes, they will be. But, but we'll that's probably not a sea fight. That's a no. Accident. That's this is a zone pay per view. But we will have the Paul brothers probably on uh, opposite cards uh, that particular evening. Yeah. My last question: As you have had time to digest the uh, the TKO uh, letters that we we expect this to be, do you have any sense on what the name of this company is going to be? Because I have a theory. Yeah, I don't know. I, I imagine TKO will be the the initialism, but I don't know because I keep. You keep hearing the word blockbuster. So that, that is my prediction is that we're going to blockbuster somehow. Vince has, has used blockbuster multiple times. And I know Vince is not someone to just use a word multiple times for no reason. So that's, that's my theory that blockbuster is somehow in, tied into this idea for a, a name of but a that's company. That's a B. We've got T, K, and O as the letters. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's foreign, but TKO is a very lame name for the, the entire company. It's going to resurrect the media brand blockbuster. All right. It's a, it's a knockout. Okay. Well, uh, again, a big thank I you. I think to we Br- could just add one more thing. I, I yes. think we could see this TKO company maybe even include boxing in the future. If they, if this goes so well for them, why not go go for the next uh, pillar, if you will, it, of of combat sports? 
it's something that I mean, Dana White has talked about the idea of Zufa boxing. He going back years, and that kind of went away. And of late, it's resurrected itself. And if we remember one of Nick Khan's interviews, not all yes. that long ago, was throwing out the idea November, of the boxing. Yeah. So that to me would be a logical extension. Um, we even saw some boxers on the uh, the pre-show for for WrestleMania. It seems like that would be something that would make a lot of sense for them. That is a very difficult industry to navigate where you are talking about uh, government oversight and being with you know, fighters that do have a protection with the Ali Act, which is very different from UFC and WWE and its freedoms. But um, w- would not surprise me either that they, and, they look at And they have direction. this connection, at least with Logan Paul. And Logan Paul has done boxing. Is, is he the one who fought Mayweather? Yes, Logan. And so they, they, I mean, they have that connection there and there's something interesting happening, at least economically with, with these boxing fights between these influencer celebrities. And that, that sounds very WWE to me. Yeah. And also a way that you could kind of take your UFC fighters and put them into a a boxing space. Uh, like there is the opportunity for, for something there, but we will see. Will, will Power Slap find its way under the TKO banner? I don't know, is Power Slap, is there going to be a season two of Power Slap? It's going to be on Rumble. As we talk about the right-wing leaning right. um, politics of uh, Dana Wait, is White. There still, is there still a pay- the pay-per-view is what you're talking about, right? Or is it just going to be, they're going to do another season that's on Rumble? Well, the the pay-per-view ended up being moved onto this free Rumble service, which okay. this paper or this this finale came and went, and I heard nothing about it. But season two is supposed to be on Rumble, and they're going to film this in Abu Dhabi. Okay. So that is the plan. No more, no more TBS. Maybe we should be streaming on Rumble. I, I don't know. I don't know what what <laughs> kind of audience we'd find on Rumble. Uh, as uh, people can can alert us to uh, how how we would fare uh, under Rumble. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, anyway. We will wrap things up. Brandon is going to be back later tonight. The uh, h- how how did you feel? Uh, Brandon Week is going here on Post Wrestling. Have you heard? Because we've got Brandon from New Jersey joining. Uh, the postmarks on Saturday and we got, it was very tough for me. I felt silly calling him Brandon Ross and Brandon Thurston. You could tell there were a few there where I was uh, actually one time I went to address you and, and got his answer. It's tough to navigate when you got double Brandon's here. Well, this, this is the wisdom of Vince McMahon. You can't have people with the same first name. He Vince McMahon proven right. Uh, clearly. So we, we weren't going to rename you though, for, for the purposes of the show as Gregory Thurston. Uh, but what's coming up tonight? Uh, the, the dynamite rating will be coming out in about a half an hour and we'll have whatever reaction there is to that. And, um, I don't know. I'll have to look. Usually what I do is I look at my Twitter feed. So whatever I've been tweeting about is good chance what I'll talk about. Um, you know, whatever I've, been, I've tweeted about between Sunday and Thursday will be the material for the show. So maybe a Ric Flair, um, travel map. How? That's what I want to know. How did you do that? That I, dude, your work always impresses me. But when I saw this, you are literally one of one that could create this this go go to brandon's twitter i can't even put it into words what he was able to develop and how i would love to watch the making of let's try to make it brief so i so it's cage based on cage match data you know the, the credit for the the data goes to cage match of course so i download so i went i isolated you know i filtered out all of rick flair's matches and i have a column that's the location which just comes from the, the database mm-hmm. and i used a a library in Python to say, okay, here's the location name. Give me the longitude and latitude. And so I had to do all that. And then he kind of got to organize in just the right way for this thing called flourish to put it into the map. And, and it, it takes a lot, a lot of time, but that's basically how it, how I did it. 
it was very impressive. I think like that. Uh, I'm just watching this thing. It's like I would just sit down and watch this for for 40 years worth of uh, Ric Flair's travels uh, around the world. So go check that out. Uh, WrestleNomics, uh, the WrestleNomics 30 will be up tonight. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Uh, you can also check out PostWrestlingCafe.com and yes, uh, highly recommended. Stay tuned for our next in our interview series. Brandon and I will have to consult the spreadsheet and we will be I added a bunch back. of names too. Okay. We're going to, we'll, we'll definitely have uh, uh, some, some forthcoming interviews coming your way. So thanks to everyone that joined us live. Uh, these are very fun to do. And that is it for us.